Good morning. How is everybody this morning? Good. Good. This is such a privilege to just read Scripture out loud in a nation that still allows it. So um, this morning, we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 12. 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 through 12. And would you stand, if you can, and uh, honor God as we read this together. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture... Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Please be seated. Thank you, Paul. Uh, you'll notice from time to time there will be people that are reading the word as we stand for the word. We we believe that the word of God has the ability to transform lives, uh, to give life, and um, and so we want to exalt that. And I think last week uh, John uh, John read here in a couple of weeks. Chad is going to read and and uh, again we believe the word of God is powerful. Uh, many of you have been following along in our 90-day reading program, and we want to encourage you to continue to do that. We just started in Mark uh, yesterday, I believe, and so I want to encourage you. You might be thinking, well, oh, I don't want to catch up all the stuff I missed. That's okay. Just start where we're at today, and we're going to go on through Easter. So we hope you can, we hope you can join in. And we want to encourage you in your homes to be reading the scriptures together. And fellas, we, we want to encourage you to carve out a time in your, in your home and read that out loud for your family to hear. It's important. And the word of God is active and alive. And we believe that with all of our heart. We hope that you are experiencing some hope rising. And the reality is that hope is found in Jesus. And that's where I want to take your brain. I want you to go to a time when Jesus shows up. He shows up, and this is the, the, the moment where publicly he's identified as the Messiah. And 
John the Baptist points to Jesus as that Messiah, the hope of humanity, the Savior of the world. John points to him. And there are some young people there that day. They go, hmm, that's interesting. I want to see if he's who they say he is. And they start watching him. And they begin to follow Jesus. And as they're following Jesus, eventually Jesus just stops. And he turns around and he says something like this. What do you want? He's Jesus. He knows what they want. What do you want? And they say, uh, you know, they have to be quick. They got to be on their feet. They're like 12 to 15 years old and the savior of the world just asked me a question and he's opening this door and I can ask whatever I want. Where are you staying? (laughs) That's their question. Where are you staying? They want to get to know Jesus though. And Jesus says this, come and see. For you today, you may be here and you've heard about this this hope for humanity. You've heard about the Savior of the world, but you've been kind of watching from a distance. If that's you, then I want to invite you to come and see. Come and see. Come and see this Savior. See what God will do and what your next steps might be. There was another day where some of those young people went back to their work. And they were working. Uh, They were fishermen. And as they were working, they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but that was about it. And Jesus shows up, and he meets them face to face, and he says this to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And they drop their nets, and they follow Jesus that day. For you, you may be in that spot where, yeah, I believe Jesus is the Savior, no question about it. I believe it with all my heart. I got stuff to do. I got things to do. I have a life to live. And you know what? I, I go to church. I attend church. Occasionally, I even remember to pray. I've even been doing that 90-day reading thing that they're doing in church. Like, I believe all that. But that's about it. And maybe today is the day where you go a little bit deeper. And you hear the echoes of the Savior's voice saying, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. One of those men was a a guy by the name of Simon, who later becomes known as Peter. And his life is transformed. And we're going to hear more about that in just a few moments. Would you join me as we pray? And I want to ask you to do this again if you're comfortable. If you're not comfortable, it's okay. You don't have to. But if you're comfortable, to just kind of hold your hands out, palms up, just saying, God, whatever you want to take from me, you can have. And whatever you want to give me, I'll receive. And and just in, in that symbolic gesture, join me as we pray. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us to come and see and to know who you are. And we thank you, Lord, that you have called us to follow you. But we also recognize that there's more. And that it's not just a, a religious act that we have, but a relationship that we live. And in that relationship, Lord, you have called us to day by day, moment by moment, to follow you. And so we We ask for that, Holy Spirit, we ask for that right now, that you would draw us closer to you and for each of us to lay down our nets might look a little bit different for each of us. So we ask for that right now, that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand that, Lord, you would move in this place in such a way that we we would get a good vision of you, that our eyes would be fixed on you, and that just in a very real way today would be the next chapter of what you have for us. 
We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? You, you ever heard somebody say that to you? Like, it's, that's kind of an intimidating moment. Like, what, what are you looking at? That is never a good question to have spoken to you, right? It may be that you've been looking a little too long at somebody. It may be that, that maybe you're not looking where you're supposed to be looking. What are you looking at? Well, you know what? It's nothing new. And it's nothing new in Christianity, actually. Peter had a similar problem. There was this moment after he chooses to follow the Lord. He's choosing to be a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus uh, sends them on this boat across this water. And he's on the other side. And he says, I'll meet you over there. And then they look up. And there's this figure walking on the water. I mean, just imagine that moment. That's got to be scary, right? Uh, It's windy. There's waves crashing around. And there's somebody walking on the water towards you. And it's not a frozen pond. They cry out. Jesus identifies himself. I'm Jesus. And Peter says, if you're Jesus, then have me come join you. He says, okay. That's intimidating. (laughs) Like, you're in a boat, I've never walked on water before, and now you're saying, yeah, come on out. So he does. And he steps out of the boat, and he walks on water. And as long as he's looking at Jesus, as long as his eyes are fixed on him, he's fine. But the winds and the waves come crashing in, and he changes his gaze. What are you looking at, Peter? Because when you're not looking at Jesus, you start to sink It is perhaps one of those moments that infected Peter. A reminder in the days to come to keep your eyes focused on Jesus. It could be that. I'm going to suggest to us today that that is that. That we have a responsibility to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. And even in the passage that we're about to read, to focus on Jesus. I want to tell you, that and and I'm I'm speaking for for Matt here also I believe I can, uh, if this isn't for Matt he'll deal with it later. So we love Jesus and we want to tell you about Jesus and if we're not talking about Jesus throughout the scriptures then we're not doing what God's called us to do. The reason that we get together on Sundays and worship is because of Jesus. It's not because of a religious thing that we have to do or that we think that we should do or because our spouse or our parents told us to do these things. We're here because of Jesus and we have this responsibility and this gift and this wonderful joy to proclaim the life-giving one who is Jesus. That's what we do no matter where we're at in the scriptures because it all relates to Jesus. And that's not just the Sunday school answer that we give. That's the truth that we hold. So as we look, what are you looking at? Let's, let's talk about this because we, we want to engage. First thing is this. It's easy to think this passage is about us. There are going to be some phrases, some ideas that are used that kind of connect with us. And it's easy to walk away here and go, man, I'm kind of a big deal. Wow. And if we do that, we have moved our eyes off of Jesus and onto something that's not supposed to be. It's also easy to take time uh, and get caught up in why it can't be us. Oh, it can never be us. And we have this Eeyore syndrome, right? Oh, everything is the worst, and it can't ever be me, and it never works out. Like that, if, if we do that, then our eyes are off of Jesus and we're missing the point. 
We could get caught up in like systematically breaking this down and making it be about us. And if we do that, then our eyes are off Jesus. See, this passage that we're about to read is really about Jesus. And you're going to see how it relates to us, but it's amazing how Jesus makes it relate to us. It's amazing. This passage is about Jesus. So I want to encourage you as we're looking ahead that your eyes are focused on him. As he calls you maybe to come and see, maybe to follow him, but that our eyes are fixed on the Savior. Let's go ahead and let's keep moving forward. Some things that you might want to know, though. Uh, this passage is going to deal with temple imagery. It's going to come out for the hearers of the first century. They would have been like, oh, yeah, the temple imagery. Oh, of course, I know what that means. And this connects with that. And this connects here. But in 70 AD, the temple came crashing down. And for 70 years, no one could even live in Israel or in Jerusalem, rather. And uh, and then in seventy and 140 AD, they changed the name from Israel to Palestine. So, by the way, I'm going to get on a soapbox for just a moment. Let me step up. Um, so, when you see in your charts uh, that says Palestine in the times of Jesus, there was no Palestine in the time of Jesus, okay? So, that was always Israel. 140 AD, it became Palestine to kind of rub in the face of the Jewish people in those days because it, it, it was relating to the Philistines. There's my soapbox, and you're welcome. I'm off. Okay, so the temple imagery... This is an important piece. First of all, keep this in mind. There is the temple that was originally built uh, by Solomon. Beautiful temple, amazing temple. The Shekinah glory of God dwells in that temple. In that temple, we see the Father. The Father is in the first temple. But during, um, uh, during the dispersion of the Jewish people uh, between temples, the temple is torn down. Uh, it, it's not in the same glory when they come back and they fix it back up. One of the things that they did, though, is that they they hid the Ark of the Covenant where the glory of God, where the Father was. So what I'm telling you is in the second temple, uh, when it was rebuilt, there is no indication that the Father is ever there. The, the glory of God is ever there. Now, here's why that's important. Because the Son was there. The second person of the Trinity is in the second temple. First temple father, second temple Jesus is there. But then the Bible talks about this other temple. Uh, It refers to it corporately as believers. It refers to it individually uh, as an individual follower of Jesus. And in that place, the Holy Spirit indwells. So in this temple, the third temple, The Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwells. So first temple, the Father. Second temple, the Son. Third temple that's made up of us. We're people. That's uh, that's the Spirit of God. So Jesus got in a lot of trouble for referring to himself as the temple. Remember he says, uh, if you tear this down in three days, I will raise it back up. And they went, no, you can't say that. That is not okay. We should do something. (laughs) You can't be talking like that, Jesus. And it was that kind of discussion that Jesus had many times about the temple, and he was the temple that really upset people. Not just that, but we also recognize another piece of the temple. And here's the piece of the temple. 
when God dwells with man in Eden, uh, heaven and earth are kind of blended there. They're right there. And then sin comes in and there's a separation. But we remember Jesus in his prayer. Remember, he says, on earth as it is in heaven. Remember that part? On earth as it is in heaven. And the temple was reflecting what was going on in heaven. And so there is this holy place where God dwells that people get to engage with God in a very unique way. And I'll I'll share that in a moment. But what an amazing thing for us as believers that that on earth as it is in heaven, that we are reflective of that temple and that people get to interact with heaven on this side of eternity. Someone once said it this way. They said, for the believer, this is as close to earth, is as close to hell as you'll ever get. For the non-believer, earth is as close to heaven as you'll ever get. That's a sobering statement and a big responsibility for this temple to be engaging in the world, bringing light to darkness, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. So let's talk about some more of the functions just really quick so that we're on the same page as we move forward. Uh, Quickly, the priests were, they, they didn't, they didn't get like this job description and there was a post and so they, they, they filled out their, an application for this job. That's not how that worked. You had to be born into the right family, the, the Levites, and, and you had to qualify uh, health-wise to be a priest. And if you were, then you got the opportunity to be a part of regular sacrifices. You got the opportunity to uh, be cleansed in the labor, and it was a, a reminder and a sign of separation. You got the opportunity to go into the holy place and worship, and there you would bring showbread, and there you would bring wicks and oils for the menorah, and there you would burn incense and let your prayers go up to heaven. It was a, it was a special place and a an amazing place, but it was a unique place for the priests. Then once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, very uniquely, very special way that he would go there, and he would put the uh, uh, the ram's blood on the mercy seat. And if God accepted it, then the children of Israel, their sins were covered. Mercy seat. Don't forget that piece, the mercy seat. Mercy, it... it it means that we don't get what we do deserve. It's different than grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. You see the difference? And here at the mercy seat, your sins are covered. You're not getting what you do deserve at the mercy seat. Our sins are taken care of at the mercy seat. And that's going to come up in big ways in just a moment. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to First Peter chapter 2. We're going to jump in. And I, I want to encourage you to uh, bring your Bibles. Though the passage, this passage is up here, there, there are going to be some times in the future where we'll have supplemental passages, probably not up on the screen. And this also gets us an opportunity to underline, highlight scripture, engage with, with our own uh, Bible, write notes off to the side, that sort of thing. Love it. We're in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're just going to walk through this together uh, as we go. And um, let's, let's start with verse 4. As you come to him. Underline that. 
as you come to him. The expectation for believers in the early church is that you are going to come to Jesus. You're going to have a a relationship with him. It is not just a religious activity that we engage in, but we are going to have a relationship with God. As you come to him, this is like this daily idea. That's how this comes off in the Greek. It's this daily, as you come to him, day by day, by day, by day, by day, you have this relationship with him. You're talking to him. You're engaging with him. As you do that, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So this living stone is telling us about the temple. It's taking our brains to that temple, this temple that were made of these, (laughs) these stones that were built up. Amazing. The scripture says they were rejected. This living stone was rejected by men. See, these men that rejected this living stone who is Jesus, they thought this stone would look different. They thought Jesus was going to come in a different way than this. Yeah, we thought that Jesus was going to be a military leader and that he was going to show up. And by showing up, he's going to chase the Romans out and he's going to establish our dominance as a people. Jesus didn't show up like that. Hmm, rejected. There were other people who thought, Oh, this Jesus, yeah, he's going to be a political leader. He's going to be able to maneuver with Rome and replace Rome as this great institute, this great government that governs the world. Like, that's what our leader is going to do. And Jesus, you don't, like, that's not you. Rejected. And I just wonder, even today, if, if we've ever done that to Jesus. Jesus, I I expected you to answer my prayers this way. I expected you to do something different than what you did in my life. And I don't don't really like that. You you must not be Jesus. Come and see. Hear the words of Christ to follow me. Watch and see what he'll do. Here we go. We're going to keep going. Moving forward. Uh, Even though it's rejected by men, God has chosen him. And, and, uh, and he's precious. And then verse 5, there's this change. But don't, don't miss this because even though it's talking about the church, this is really about Jesus. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. What is Peter saying? You are that temple. You are being built up on Jesus, this chief cornerstone. You are being built up on him. And it's an amazing thing. And we can pause here and go, oh, man, I'm kind of a big deal to God, I guess. And, and though God loves us and we're going to see how precious we are to him, it's still not about us. It's about Jesus, the one who can transform us from not being the temple to the temple. That's an amazing thing. And the hearers of that day would have went, whoa. And then he says, to be a holy priesthood. Pause there at the end of the services. I often will end like this. We are called to be a holy and royal priesthood, ministers of reconciliation. And then I'll close with the priestly blessing. This is why you're a holy priesthood. That means you're a group of people who are set apart for God's work. Not our work, not the world's work, but God's work. And some of us do it as 
pastors in a church, and some of us do it as electricians in the world and teachers in public schools, and some of us do it in a variety of ways, but we're all called to this holy and royal priesthood. And it's not based on the line that you were born in, but rather if you're born again. If you are born again, then you get to be a holy priesthood. Wow. You mean it doesn't matter my genealogy? Yep, that's what it means. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Some people read that and they think, I have to offer spiritual sacrifices so that I can be a priest, so that I'm accepted by God. That's not how that works. Like, don't miss the subtlety of that. We don't offer these spiritual sacrifices so that we please God. We, God is pleased by us because of Jesus' work in our life. Because we are born again, we are priesthood, we are priesthood of believers. Because we are priesthood of believers, we serve the Lord. You don't have to make me do that. I just love Jesus. I want to do this. And there are sacrifices that we give, and he's going to kind of spell those out. It's going to come up a little bit later. Verse 6, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And the hearers had to have read that and went, What? Wait, Peter, we are being put to shame. Because as I said a couple of weeks ago, there were families that came in and they said, wait, you believe in Jesus? We don't believe in Jesus. And uh, I don't think we want you at our family gatherings anymore. Well, that was bad. But then the community said, we don't think we want you as part of the community. That's bad. But then the government came in and said, you know what? If you don't say Caesar is Lord, we have something for you. We may crucify you. We may put you in a coliseum with wild animals to eat you. Or we may just burn you alive. And all you have to do is say, Caesar is Lord. Your families don't love you. Your communities don't love you. Just say, Caesar is Lord, and you have a place here. Or you could be crucified. You could be thrown to animals, or you could be burned alive, and we have other options. Like That's what they were dealing with. That sounds like shame to me. And Peter is telling them, no, no, wait a minute. That's not shame. That is, that is a sacrifice to God. Let me tell you what shame is. Shame is being separated away from God. Shame is eternal separation from God. Shame is that place where you had the opportunity to choose to follow Jesus and you chose to not. That's shame because it's eternal and it's forever and it's separated and it's our call. And that's shameful. That's the idea here, verse 7. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Now I want to tell you that this passage is a really difficult passage. And um, I was talking to Matt about this. He would like you to call him if you have any questions about it. And he prefers calls after 1130 at night. I don't know why that is. Um, and his number is... No, I'm just, This is a tricky passage, though. And in English, it, it's, it's, it's pretty narrow. In Greek, it has a little broader 
uh, understanding to it. And let me point it out real quick. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So oftentimes we read that and we say in English, it looks like what they were destined to do is disobey the word. Well, mm, uh, it, it could be that. I mean, it, it has that, like it could be under that umbrella. It could also be that uh, what they were destined to do is stumble if they disobeyed the word. That that would be uh, the way that I understand that theologically. That would be uh, the umbrella that I would go in. There are good people who are on both sides of this argument. I understand that. I appreciate that. And uh, I love you if you're not on the same page. But again, contact Matt for any questions. Uh, let's continue on. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race. There are Jews and Gentiles in this church, this group of people that these letters are going to. And he says, you are a chosen race. Like once you were just this hodgepodge, you were rejected by your families, you were rejected by your community, you were rejected by your government, but now you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to underline that, highlight it, star it off to the side. This is a big deal. A people for his own possession. Right? God's not repenting of calling you. Uh, he's called you to himself, and he loves that you're part of it. The King James has this idea and, and refers to this, translates this a little differently. Again, it's Old English, so it meant something different in those days. And the way that it translated it was peculiar people. You're peculiar people. I'm like, I know. <laughs> but here, you're, you're people of his possession. He loves you. He's got a plan for you. It's a good plan. And what is that plan? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why? Because in this respect, God has come to earth and he indwells his people and he indwells his church, his people. And as we interact in the world, we are proclaiming this marvelous light in a world that is dark. And as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, people go, wait a minute, I want to come and see. I want to see what this is about. I don't know that I've bought into everything you've bought into, but I want to come and see that. And then there are people that are on the edge, and they're like, hmm, if I just had an opportunity, maybe I would follow Jesus. Maybe I would. Maybe if somebody would call me out, okay, hear the echoes of the words of Christ to follow me. This, this is what he's calling. That we proclaim the excellencies of, of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, underline that, but now you have received mercy, underline that. We know that we are not getting what we do deserve. Sin, uh, sin is a separation from God. We get paid in death whenever we sin, but here we're not getting that, even though we deserve that. That's not what we're getting. We're getting grace instead. God is good. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which, war, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify 
God on the day of visitation. And, and that day of visitation is a little bit of a tricky term. Uh, it could mean when Jesus returns. It, again, it's under that umbrella. Uh, it's, this is a term that's used this way in Luke chapter 19, verse 43 through 44. And in that place, Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem. And he's weeping because he knows what's happened in Jerusalem uh, as a city, as a whole, has rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And he begins to weep, and, and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, a day is going to come for your destruction. And it's because you didn't recognize me on the day of visitation. This word also is, is used a little different way, and it, it means bishop. <laughs> You're like, on the day of bishop? That doesn't make sense. Well, bishop is overseer. So the idea is on the day that Jerusalem got to oversee the Messiah and missed it. Here, on the day that the church gets to oversee the Messiah, they they don't miss it. Your good deeds and glorify God on that day. So it could mean that, and it has that wide range of meaning there. So what will it be? How do we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus? Though we're not being crucified, though we're not being thrown to wild animals, though uh, we, we are not being burned alive, it's easy in this culture today to get our eyes on winds and waves that are blowing in. So what do we do? Well, the scriptures just outlined some things, and I, I want to identify those real quick as we go. How do we keep our eyes on Christ? Well, here's how. First thing, we're sojourners and exiles. I love that. Like, this isn't it. This isn't the end-all, be-all. Uh, things are about to get better. And we need to understand that we're just passing through this place. This is not heaven. There's something better, and it's coming. We're exiles through this place. There's a reason that things are different, and it's kind of agitating, and it's like, well, that's not right. Yep, that's not right. This isn't home either. This isn't where we have citizenship. Yeah, it's where we dwell. Yeah, we have to be stewards of what we have for sure. But this isn't where we, this isn't the end game here. As I said earlier, for those who have followed Jesus, this is as close to hell as you'll ever get. And for those who haven't, this is as close to heaven. I hope you're an exile. I hope you're a sojourner through this place. And if so, it helps us to keep our eyes on Jesus. Abstain from passions of the flesh. Again, um, <clears throat> this, this can be a lot of different things. These are going to be the, the things that we want. But let, let me just kind of narrow this down. This is, this is anything that's not of eternal value. Like, what are we... Now, we can serve the Lord in a variety of ways and it be of eternal value, right? Like, you don't... As I said earlier, you can be an electrician, a teacher, a nurse. You you can do those things and serve the Lord and that's of eternal value. That's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. But also, (laughs) you could be a pastor and not serve the Lord. Like, that's possible too. So... It's abstaining from anything of the flesh that is, that is driving our passions. Am I doing this for money? Am I doing this for selfish ambition? Am I doing this for gain? Am I doing this because my flesh just really likes it? Or am I abstaining from it for the glory of God because I'm a part of this priesthood and as a part of my sacrifice, I'm giving this to you, God, even though there are other people who are fighting for this. Lord, this is, 
I want to give this to you. I want to honor you in this place. Keep your conduct honorable, that the things that we do um, honors God. So uh, on our podcast a few weeks ago, Dave Jernander was talking about purity, and we were revisiting that in the podcast. Matt was there, and Joel was there, Pastor Joel was there, and and we were talking through what that meant. And one of the things that that Matt said was, you know, with respect to my computer or my television or what I'm reading or whatever... If Jesus were sitting right beside me, like that would really influence what I'm watching and what I'm not watching, right? And he said, actually, Kenny, if you were sitting right beside me, that would influence, you know, like sometimes the things that we do in, in private when we think no one is looking is not honorable. And here, Peter is reminding the church, do what's honorable because God is looking. God is there. He is present. And then the final reminder is that Jesus is coming again. 2,000 prophecies that have been fulfilled. 2,000. The probability of that happening is, uh, I believe it's 1 in 10 to the 2,000th power. Statistically speaking, that's a miracle. There are 500 prophecies left. They're being fulfilled. They're not not fulfilled, they are being fulfilled. And a couple, we're anticipating the fulfillment. If I were a betting man, I'm not. But if I were, he's coming back. And I hope today. And if not today, tomorrow, I hope by the end of the week, I'm looking forward to him. He's coming. So please, before my daughters start dating, Jesus, come back. (laughs) I knew I'd get an amen there. Hey, What are you looking at? Where are your eyes? Are they focused on Christ? Are they off? What are you looking at? Jesus, we love you. And we need you. And Lord, just even as the worship team is coming to prepare our hearts to sing about you as that cornerstone, Lord, we are calling out to you. We are crying out to you. Get our attention. If we are looking at the winds and the waves, Lord, let us sink that we would call on you. Lord, if we are so focused on the ways of the world that we are missing you in front of us, Lord, get our attention. What are we looking at? Let us look at the one who matters, who is transforming, who is life-giving. Let us look at you, Jesus. Let's look at you because the winds and waves are big, but you're bigger. And you're better. And you have power over those things. And as we pass through this place, Lord, let us offer our passions. Let us offer our lives to you. That you be glorified and honored. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen.